Greetings, fruits, and welcome to episode two of We Are All Fruit, a League of Their Own podcast. Hi there. Um, hi there, as well. <laughs> hi all. I'm Kat, and I thought we would do a very brief introduction of the three of us doing this podcast. I know you're here for a League of Their Own spiraling and uh, deep dives, but. Maybe you'd like to know your hosts in 60 seconds. <laughs> uh, again, my name is Kat Jetson. I am a rather boring paralegal during the day and a stained glass mosaic artist that goes by the name Marvelous Mrs. Mosaic. I love baseball. I'm the baseball fan. I've seen 26 major league stadiums, as well as I've been to Cooperstown and Doubleday Field over there. Uh, and they do have an amazing All-American Girls Baseball League um, section in Cooperstown. I've also been to the Field of Dreams in Dyersville, Iowa, and I've seen uh, the Rockford Peaches Field Fire Stadium. And I also worked at Dodger Stadium briefly, <laughs> but that information, some of that information will come up probably. Fascinating, interesting. Basically, your whole life is all about baseball. Oh, and I have an amazing baseball card collection. I'm Susanna. I'm the one who says hello and goodbye to you at the start and end of our podcast. <laughs> I'm a history professor and I study broadly the relationship between religion and sexuality in modern US history. I look like a teenage boy and frequently get mistaken for one. Sometimes but I my have son. The, <laughs> yes. Oh my. We should talk the pedicure. Okay. We won't go Forget into it. this right now. Um, but I have the interests of an aging gay man. I, I'm into Broadway musicals. I play pickleball. Um, and obviously, I really like A League of Their Own. And I am Crystal. I have a better mic this episode. So hopefully, this sounds Yay. a little nicer. Uh, I work for Topps Trading Cards, and I literally design baseball cards for a living, which is awesome. My dream as well. My my yeah. wife's job is my dream job. Our house is just baseball house. We are consumed by baseball, pretty much. I design uh, things other than baseball, but that's kind of what Topps is best known for. I have something to say about... I was called out on something on Twitter that I said in our first episode. Oh, no. Already corrections? Apologies corner? Yeah, I just need to clarify. In the first episode, I said that Greta Gill wasn't exactly my type. Oh, <laughs> the worst sin of all. <laughs> Let me just put a little star on that. I said that because my wife, Kat Jetson, is my type. And that's oh, all I'm going to say about it. Wow. Okay, that is disgusting. And I quit the podcast. <laughs> was it a star or was it a smudge next to that? <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, today we're talking about episode two and trying to erase from our memory what just happened, this cheese ball moment between Crystal and Kat. This episode is written again by Will Graham and Abby Jacobson and directed by Jamie Babbitt. Um, in the bonus content on Prime Video, which you can access if you click the x-ray button if you're watching it on your computer, it doesn't work on my Apple TV for whatever reason, but there's some deleted scenes and some extra content uh, but Will Graham talks about how the theme of this episode is giving up certain things to get what you want. So the Peaches are going to go through charm school and Max is going to attempt to do what she needs to do to continue Tony's 
legacy, but ultimately they have bigger things in mind. And just a quick programming slash language note for our opening scene here. The show uses the antiquated word Negro to describe the segregated black baseball leagues. And it was, of course, its official name, so we'll be using it along with the show, but only in reference to the league itself. Sometimes I have to clarify for my students that certain terms, particularly in reference to minoritized groups and when spoken by people not historically belonging to those groups, outgrow their usefulness and then sometimes in retrospect seem deeply problematic or offensive. Mm -hmm. And this is certainly the case with this word. So we're using it strictly in the context of the historical organization and never in some general reference to black people. So this episode opens with Max and... She is daydreaming about playing in the bigs uh, with a real player named Josh Gibson, who was actually inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1973. Um, I'm going to give a little history, just a brief history on the Negro Leagues here, because this is a really important bit of history. At this time, Major League Baseball and its affiliated minor leagues had an unwritten rule that excluded black players and any players of color really from participating in the leagues with a few notable exceptions prior to 1900, which I'm not going to get into right now, but by 1900, this rule was like firmly established and in full effect. And there were no black players in major league baseball. So a lot of black leagues started to form and they are, again, historically referred to as the Negro Leagues. When you hear the Negro Major Leagues, that's typically referring to seven particular leagues that ran at various points between 1920 and 1950, and those were considered the best of the best. Um, and that is what Max is dreaming of playing in. Probably specifically, the, the one of seven leagues in particular is called the Negro American League, which was running at that time. And she's got a poster in her room later that you see that says that. So, and I, I'm guessing mm -hmm. that is what mm -hmm. Josh Gibson played in. So that is what that is. And just to fast forward a little bit in history, the, the color barrier in MLB was finally broken in 1946. So three years after our show here, when Jackie Robinson signed with the Brooklyn Dodgers. I'm just going to go right to uh, Jackie Robinson Day, just because I think that's what most people know. If you know anything about baseball, just a little bit, you know that there's Jackie Robinson Day, and it's a yearly event celebrated uh, in MLB on April 15th, commemorating and honoring the day Jackie Robinson made his Major League debut. On this day, all players, coaches, and managers wear Jackie Robinson's number, which is number 42, and he was first honored in 2004. I have an interesting little factoid if you uh, follow baseball at all. The last player to wear number 42, to be able to wear number 42, was Mariano Rivera, uh, all-time saves closer for the Yankees. So, And there's a lot of other players that wear 24 because that's as close as they'll get to 42, and there's a player... That just retired recently. His name was Robinson Cano, and he was named after Jackie Robinson, and he wore number 24. He was one oh, of my favorite players until that's he cool. uh, got pinged doing steroids twice. So that broke oh, my heart. But anyhow, that <laughs> number 42. A lot in baseball. It's interesting that both players were on the Yankees. So 
If you're wondering what happened to the Negro Leagues, uh, after Jackie Robinson got signed, baseball teams started getting more integrated, and they just slowly deteriorated. And 1951 is generally considered the last major league season of the Negro Leagues. So when you hear that term, again, it's mostly referring to leagues that were formed between 1920 and 1950. That was a very front-loaded history corner, but it was (laughs) important to kind of talk about it because it'll probably come up again. And uh, it's just a very important part of Max's story and what she's Mm -hmm. going for here. So we see Max, uh, yeah, imagining pitching in the bigs, but what she's really doing is watching Gary's crappy factory baseball team, the (laughs) Rockford Screws. (laughs) What a name. That's so great. Um, (laughs) Screw factory. Yeah. And they all, all the guys think that she's there to watch Gary play and he is okay to keep them thinking that, but really she's there because she wants to get on the team. And she points out that their pitcher, Mr. Fox isn't that great? And she's like, if I could pitch practices, he could rest. And she's just trying anything she can to get on a team, any team. She doesn't mm-hmm. care. And the coach says, sorry, if you want to be on the team, you got to have a job at the factory. And she's like, any job? <laughs> <laughs> so this gets her gears turning again. How can she get on a team? That's all she's thinking about. It's so cute. She is inventive and creative with getting where she wants to go it's it's very inspiring mm-hmm. <laughs> don't say no to max next we're in the peaches locker room and we hear the peaches complain about the pink uniforms with red accents carson says how am i supposed to squat in this they're gonna see my everything and Greta says, I don't think the fellas are going to mind too much. And of course, there's still there's tension between them after the kiss the night before, presumably. And then Greta walking off with Danny slash Peter. <laughs> we meet Alan Baker, played by Don Fanley, who's the nephew of the owner and is coming to check on the team. The girls are complaining about the uniforms and Joe says, we're ball players, not Follies girls. And then Greta says flirtatiously, again, we should stop. We should drop that word because as Crystal pointed out, and I'm so one, everything Greta does is flirtatious. She says this one loves the Follies, referring to Joe. And for those who don't know, the, Fo- the Zigfield Follies were a series of the- theatrical productions before Broadway became Broadway. Um, I did they, not know what this was. I had no idea what they were talking about. Yeah. They had originated in sort of vaudeville circles and were quite scandalous sometimes. There's a lot of, you know, by the standards of like the 1920s. They showed their ankles. The ankles were definitely (laughs) shown. Um, There was some seductive behavior happening on stage, which is why it's really telling that Greta... Greta's not outing Joe, obviously, but it's a hint, hint, wink, wink. Joe mm-hmm. loves the Follies because they're hot girls in skirts <laughs> right. dancing in front of you. Also, Stephen Sondheim, who's my favorite musical theater composer, wrote a musical called Follies. I oh can't believe it how this show together. is relevant to all three of us. <laughs> like we are all, we're all very good friends. Obviously, I'm married to Cap, but <laughs> we're all good friends, and we all like very different things, and it all comes together in this show so the peaches have their first game against the south bend blue Sox tomorrow and i wrote south bend corner it's the worst that's my I only have comment, a comment about <laughs> but i have a comment because i drove you 
Do you remember? I drove you there. You drove me to St. Louis. You drove me oh. from Connecticut to St. Louis. Yeah. I can't remember. I drove I... the U-Haul. Cat drove my car. But Cat has visited me in every place I've lived across the U.S. And it's been quite yeah. a few places. South Bend, I got my PhD at Notre Dame. So I lived there for four years. It was quite depressing. And I'm glad to be out of it. But I'm very <laughs> happy for all the South Bend Blue Sox lesbians <laughs> to interact <laughs> with the peaches. So the peaches are introduced to their new coach, dun, da, 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 Duff da, Porter. Da, 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 da. <laughs> All right, Kat, you have a Duff Porter corner? <laughs> I do. I looked because I was curious if he was based on anyone. And Duff Porter's played by Nick Offerman. I mean, you can't not know Nick Offerman. Mm-hmm. Parks and Rec. I mean, come on. <laughs> he I looks very different. Parks and Rec, and I know Ron Swanson. <laughs> Iconic <laughs> character. Mm-hmm. So I looked to see if he was based on anyone and he wasn't but when they came in and as soon as they called him dove i was like this guy has got to be this that nickname has got to be in reference to something that i know about there was a pitcher like the 90s aughts and his name was randy johnson and he's a literally known I mean, he was an amazing pitcher that had a mullet, but he's literally known <laughs> for throwing a fastball that killed a pigeon like live oh. on air like live it was a live game it's crazy i've watched that video i'm assuming you can just find that video on youtube yeah, just don't Randy watch Johnson. it if you're squeamish because that bird explodes oh wow mm-hmm. it's shocking so that's that name was like a little like wink too and we were talking mm-hmm. about terrible baseball nicknames previously on our previous podcast and yeah, yeah. this is one of the worst it's called the big unit and i just am furious about it the big <laughs> unit he is very tall I feel like that's but a nickname come on man he gave to himself <laughs> <laughs> all right so he was king of the fork ball who killed the bird and then greta makes fun of joe for you know <laughs> needing to clarify that the bird is dove and there's a the dove <laughs> she used her fingers in that so nicely her hand the, the dove she uses greta her fingers nicely all moment. the time mm-hmm. yeah we Talking know over each know. other hands hands fingers I'm greta so blah 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 delighted. blah delighted to find out after our last episode that everyone noticed the hands and it's a thing. Greta Gill's hands are a thing. Mm-hmm. It's an obsession. Yeah. So Dove was trying to say ridiculous but semi-inspirational things. Um, he wants to see their fire. Carson has a hard time coming up with a face that says fire. Um, and then she approaches him. She's obviously a big fan. She respects uh, the coach a lot um, and admires his game. And this is where our intro moment came from with hi there as well, uh, very <laughs> awkwardly. And he seems then, like a decent guy at first when he comes in. He's giving them this like motivational speech, which it's cheesy, but you're like, okay, he, he's trying to like do the right thing here. Unlike the movie version who of this character mm-hmm. who is played by Tom Hanks, who just comes in completely drunk and is immediately just a dirtbag. So right out the gate, you're like, oh, okay, Dove, he's all right. This isn't the same as the movie version. Right, right, which was a relief, actually. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. he he signs her baseball and says, Carson Shaw is a pro ball player. (laughs) That's going to come up real soon, that little interaction with them pretty much right here. So on the practice field, and Lupe is making all the peaches look bad. She's crushing it with those pitches. And 
Dove seems genuinely interested. He's like, hold up, I have to check this out. So he goes up to her and asks her about, you know, who taught you how to pitch and let me see your curveball. And he calls Carson up and he's like, Carson Shaw, come up here to make your daddy proud. And Greta, <laughs> ooh, Carson has a new daddy. <laughs> Yeah, I there the writers are obviously in on that lesbians have taken the term daddy. This is like mm-hmm. our thing now. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, not exclusively, I don't think, but yes. No. It's definitely a thing. It's so frequently used for uh women slash women <laughs> relationships. Who's the daddy? Also, um Roberta Calendres, who plays Lupe, she looks like she's genuinely a really good pitcher. Like, oh, I love the leg, got, high leg kick. Yeah, she's got good form. Like some of the uh, actors you see pitching and playing, they they look like they're not, you know, they're acting clearly. Mm-hmm. But Prime Video tweeted uh, yesterday that Shante Adams showed up having only watched pitching on YouTube and kind of <laughs> faked her audition. <laughs> this sounds like something That's impressive. Susanna would do. Just watch YouTube <laughs> videos all night. None of the people on the show can run, however. They might look good pitching. They might look good batting. None of them can run. And maybe that's, I don't know if it's the bras they're wearing or the skirts. <laughs> Any scene where they're running to a base, they're not, they're not the fastest. Wow. Crystal coming in with hot criticism. Uh, look hot forward takes. to Apology Corner at the start of the next show. <laughs> at this moment, you're still thinking Dove is pretty cool. He's like, I'm, I think I'm going to show you my fork ball. And Lupe clearly is, I, I don't know what the right word is. Like what, help me out with this word. She's not like smitten. She's just so enamored that he's like giving her attention and wanting to help her progress. Like she really falls for it. And it goes she on wants for- to like make him proud of her. I, mean, mm-hmm. I guess everyone wants to make- Someone daddy, proud, right? daddy proud. <laughs> <laughs> we said daddy at the same time. So the fork ball, this is what Dove is known for. He shows her, throws it. Carson hits his, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And then you're interrupted. Shirley's like, who is that gorgeous woman in the stands? <laughs> and Greta knows who it is, of course, because she knows everybody that's rich or fancy. And the, the woman is Vivian Newman. And th- there's some bonus content on Prime as well, which this is also interesting. I wonder if you know who this is. Vivian is based on a woman named Helena Rubinstein. Did you know who this was? Um, either of you? Probably not. No. I had to look her up. Because neither of you were born in the U.S. And every time I watched a show on PBS when I was growing up, I'm a middle-aged woman. <laughs> it was like, oh, brought to you by the Helena Rubinstein Foundation, oh. which is really sweet and cute that I've heard that name I never knew what it was about, but mm. clearly a rich woman. Uh, the rich people in the stands. The notes here are really cute. <laughs> <laughs> so the, they're basically, they're concerned about whether womanhood can survive the rock or peaches. This was an article written in the paper. So Vivian is there to make sure that they, I don't get womanized. <laughs> what is Look that? like ladies. Like, you can't just sell tickets by playing baseball well. You have to also look good, act proper, 
blah, blah, blah. They can't blah, look blah, like blah, truck blah. drivers, as Mr. Baker says. Oh, so sad. It's heartbreaking. <laughs> and then we cut back to Max. This episode bounces uh, between Max and the Peaches a lot, which is great. I love how much they just really fluidly intertwine these two stories. Mm-hmm. That are very different. And they don't really... They like kind of touch, but they're not like, they don't fully intersect. Like the only time they like really kind of connect is with Max and Carson. And I like that. I like that they have their time to have their own yeah. stories mm-hmm. fully formed. Yeah. Go on, And they're Crystal. both so interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're never bored during either storylines yeah. happening. It's all very compelling. So we see Max heading to the screw factory to apply for a job so she can get on the baseball team. And she goes up to the application table where these two white women are working and they are horribly racist to her. I hate it. I hate it too. I hated the scene. I was just like so... I, was like, I know. I don't like rewatching that particular interaction mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that racism where they're not outwardly... Mm-hmm. You know, they're not saying offensive things they're just being really nasty and sneaky and smiling through it basically Mm -hmm. apparently we learn in the next episode that one of those women's name is karen which is really funny (laughs) i didn't catch that (laughs) i loved when i found that and look some of my best friends are karens Um, but (laughs) the fact that the writers named this terrible racist asshole karen is just thank you very much Mm mm-hmm So Max says that the FDR order means that they have to consider her for the job. They still deny her, but quick history corner. Uh, Through much of the first half of the 20th century, black workers um, migrated to these northern manufacturing towns and were often turned away, not just discriminated against, but also violently turned away from trying to apply for these jobs. And so to change that, a black lobby um, advocated and spoke with Eleanor Roosevelt, who then tried to influence her husband. Speaking of, Eleanor Roosevelt is also possibly very queer. But (laughs) (laughs) she persuaded FDR eventually, um, with the help of the black lobby, obviously, to to issue an executive order banning discriminatory employment practices by federal agencies and all unions and companies that were engaged in war-related work. So this was the perfect example of the kind of factory that should have let Max apply, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the significance, too, here is that this was the first presidential order um, on race or directive on race since Reconstruction, which ended in 1877. So we need a little... Diddy for our history corners. We're dropping a lot of history facts this episode. <laughs> People seem to enjoy them, but you know, give us. I'm feedback. so happy. I want this podcast to not just be us fangirling the whole time. And yeah, true. I love the the history. I'm learning a ton, so I hope people are enjoying it. Oh, uh, we're back on the practice field, and we finally get a little interaction with Greta and Carson. It's so crazy that you, the end of the first episode you're like what is happening and you still are like what is happening Greta's up to bat and she asks Carson they're being kind of frosty with each other if she's Mm -hmm. still giving her the silent treatment and she's just like why don't you just pay attention and hit the ball and she's like why don't I and she's (laughs) like you don't want to be left alone she's really 
she says it later on. Carson asks her if she's trying to get into her head. And this is, I, I think she's really toying with her right now. Did you get that yeah, impression? Yeah, I was still... I was still really unsure about Greta at this point. I was like, is this, is she a villain? Like, is she being just really nasty? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard knowing what happened, knowing her. <laughs> that sounds yes. so intimate. Like, I know. <laughs> it's hard knowing from later episodes, right? Watching it. But I, I, I recall watching it the first time and being like, either they're really flirtatious in this, like, passive aggressive way that sometimes mm -hmm. you have to do when you're first getting to know somebody sometimes you just gotta <laughs> you just gotta <laughs> really do people, do people do that? i that. feel like when like you're not sure if if like teasing them is flirting or it's mm. friendship it's this like middle ground i don't know i've certainly had this i've never been as cold i've never walked off with a danny before but i've certainly <laughs> made fun of people whom i liked <laughs> without telling them first that i like them I love that Greta is unimpressed with Dove's references to Babe Ruth. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Babe Ruth. And um, Susanna wrote something in our notes here that was really interesting because she said, this is interesting because Carson is still naive about men's egos and Greta knows better. And I hadn't mm. really considered that. Like, Carson is farm girl, right? She is. <laughs> She's never been on a farm. <laughs> I mean, and then they barely are practicing, right? And then Dove's like, all right, let's get it together, gang. You know, see you here tomorrow for your first game. And they're all just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We mm -hmm. have got to practice. We need way more time to practice. And he's like, baseball, eight to 10 inches a calf and all the other things that say to me, America. <laughs> and you're just, just <laughs> fucking idiot, right? <laughs> now you're getting it. You're like, you're starting to see. Yeah, if you thought at first he was like really there for them. You're starting to see that he's not. He gives them some more like empty, nonsense, motivational words. He says, if you don't feel ready, that's exactly what makes you ready. And all the <laughs> players are like, what? And it, Greta leans on Joe. And I want to tell you that, Susanna, I don't know if you've seen, but we have a count doc, Crystal and I, and we filled it up yesterday. Oh, and wow. I don't know, when would you like to go and touch on this count doc do you want to just do it like now or do you want to do it at the end because we really we've talked about the count doc we talked about it in episode one but yeah, i want to know when sh let's get into it look at we have a count doc and we went crazy but originally started with <laughs> greta playful ass laps i noticed that greta was leaning on joe a lot so that was gonna have to be one and also Greta with a bat behind her head. So those are my original, mm. but then they mm -hmm. exploded. Oh, so, no. so there's a Carson pie count. So mm -hmm. far we're at two. <laughs> Greta butt slap count. We're at seven. Loose lips guy count. One. Carson is from a farm count. Three. We're only in episode two. <laughs> Greta behind <laughs> bat behind her head. One. Greta drapes over Joe. Six so far. And mm. we're going to let Crystal keep the crab count when she gets there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a crab count this episode, which I'll get into after. <laughs> you can't use the crab count <laughs> in any other episode, but episode it's just two. for this episode. It was a special request from Twitter. Amazing. Mm -hmm. All right. We're back at the Peach's home, and Carson is getting summoned to the telephone. 
course, she sees that Greta is talking to Meg, her sister. <laughs> this is so she says, she says, you can just talk to people. <laughs> I just love <laughs> Carson's monthly complaints are my favorite genre on the show, the possibly. Delivery. You can just talk to people. Um, of course, Greta sticks around the room in her hot, hot, hot outfit. Um, I don't know what that outfit is. It's like workout pants like from 1940 with like a floral crop top thing it's perfect okay so meg had heard the rumors about carson's bra being out um (laughs) she heard the rumors (laughs) their father's frustrated pie in on behalf of carson that's right she also had to make that pie that the lady at the train station reminded carson that's probably best what we know from <laughs> Carson's, Carson's pie making. Their father is frustrated because of Carson's life choices. Uh, they discuss sort of the traditional family values, right? The Meg believes that everybody should have children within seven years of getting married. Uh, she also tells Char- uh, Carson that Charlie's return is delayed. And that's when... So is this saying that Carson and Charlie have been married for seven years? Is that what she meant there? I... Wouldn't, well, I'm not sure how old anybody's supposed to be. We know yeah, that in, in the wondering. in the original leagues, most people who came to try out were between 17 and 22 years old. I love that these ladies are older. Yeah. Um, but we're not sure how old they're supposed to be. We all do love an older lady. They're certainly within my dating preference range. <laughs> Oh, the plug for Susanna hey. to get a date. Yeah, we'll cut it out. Corner. We'll cut it out. <laughs> we will not. All right. So Meg says that Charlie's return is delayed. And that's when Carson gets especially sensitive to Greta's presence in the room. I think that's interesting. And that's when she asked her to leave. Greta does. But first she offers Carson the book, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, which is a Betty Smith novel published that year so i'm not sure that peach's house would have had it um Mm. in the library that same year but whatever that's a tiny detail i actually read the book like last week um oh my gosh you read it because of the show i did indeed oh my gosh Uh, well will was talking will graham was talking about how important the book was for for the show there was a salon article about it so i just wanted to see for myself i listened to the audiobook version it was about 14 hours research <laughs> and reading how committed and being I am. smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it it's a it's a good book. So it's written, you know, that year, but it's set in the early 1910s and we sort of grow up alongside the main character, Francie, who's living in this poor section of Brooklyn. We learn a lot about the culture of the time. Um I learned a lot, but I especially like the full quote that Carson will eventually quote to try to motivate the mm. team toward the end of the season and if you don't mind i'll read it so the main character prays when the u.s entry into world war ii i'm sorry world war one is announced and she says dear god let me be something every minute of every hour of my life let me be gay she doesn't mean gay everybody calm down she means happy okay. let me be gay let me be sad let me be cold let me be warm Let me be hungry, have too much to eat. Let me be ragged or well-dressed. Let me be sincere, be deceitful. Let me be truthful, let me be a liar. Let me be honorable and let me sin. Only let me be something 
every blessed minute. And when I sleep, let me dream all the time so that not one little piece of living is ever lost. And this is the kind of, as I write in my notes, yellowing that Greta wants Carson to try. And obviously, this again, this is the quote that will come up in the finale. Yeah. It's also interesting that Greta gives Carson that book because Joe and Greta had made fun of Carson for bringing a suitcase full of books. And here she is recommending a read. So now mm-hmm. we know that Greta can read. <laughs> <laughs> the mysterious Greta Gill can read. So Carson's worried about what Greta had said to Meg um, and, and tries to convince Meg to be happy about her new life and baseball. After the phone call, Carson overhears Joe and Greta talking about moving to California. Everyone's always moving. That should be a count. How many times are they, they going to talk about moving to California? <laughs> right. Carson is feeling confident in the league, but everybody else is spiraling. Jess says, we're all going to die. <laughs> Shirley <Dramatic>. says, <laughs> Shirley interjects that there has to be a formal warning if death is mentioned. Shirley is so funny. She is like the embodiment of Tumblr. <laughs> Greta is worried about game attendance. Carson still remains optimistic. So why is the mirror in the background of the scene so dirty? I noticed this on the first watch. I couldn't stop looking at it. The Greta's looking in this mirror and it's like cloudy and filthy. You can't see yourself in that mirror. Genuinely, mirrors were not as, I just think they didn't look as sharp. But you might you be think noticing they were just this dirty in the because of Instagram, people taking selfies in bathroom mirrors and that's the thing look, that you notice. That drives me That's insane. a huge pet peeve of mine. If you're taking a selfie in your bathroom mirror, please look clean at it. it. It's, yeah. People's mirrors are disgusting. At some point during this conversation, as everybody's anxiously discussing the future of the league, Joe calls Carson farm girl. So add that to our farm girl account. And then Carson says to Greta, are you trying to get in my head? Greta says she doesn't know what she's talking about and walks out for a smoke with Joe. And we see that Carson is so enamored and so frustrated with Greta, as are we all. Mm-hmm. Like she's falling apart a little bit. She doesn't know what to do. Like it, it's, that must be very mm-hmm. frustrating because... You're furious, as we see moving on into the series. She's so mad that she likes her. Mm-hmm. She doesn't understand mm-hmm. it. It is very confusing. It's, and to have someone on the other side, like kind of toying with you and not really helping you, not guiding you through this, just sort of like picking you up and then dropping you, picking you up and then dropping you. And I don't mm-hmm. mean like mm-hmm. literally, but oh, well, she, she can't can. really count on her. She's She's got a figure. <laughs> Yeah, I wish Greta Gill would drop me. (laughs) And we have a quiet moment in Shirley and Carson's bedroom. A little, you see the mist from the humidifier. (laughs) Just no joke. This week, this week on Poog, Kate Berland's podcast, she was talking because she's in New York right now doing her show. She was talking about how she is about to invest in a humidifier for her temporary home in New York. Oh my god! (laughs) Wow. I do have one for my art studio. So I thought about that when I plugged it in. I was just like, oh, surely. I did so too. In every room, you. you have to have humidifiers. Let us tell <laughs> you. <laughs> Wellness corner. <laughs> I think the best thing that you can get out of this scene, this tiny little moment between these two, is that Shirley is, of course, worried and concerned. But you're seeing Carson. She's just like, it just feels like 
I'm supposed to be here. Like mm-hmm. her confidence is growing, even though like she's just changing. You're seeing the change. You know, she's just yeah. really certain that this is where she's supposed to be. Then we go back to Max, who's at her mom's beauty salon, and she's working on accounting with her mom and trying to make her mom happy, basically. She's like, yeah, I need to not focus on baseball and do something realistic because her mom wants to pass this business down to her. She tries to convince herself of that like 15 Mm -hmm. times in this show. She's also really struggling with going after her dream and doing what she's supposed to be doing to not, Mm -hmm. you know, waves in the water. So, Mm -hmm. And her mom tells the great story of how she even started the business. And that is because the bank thought she was a man because her name is Tony. Uh, History corner. Yeah. (laughs) Doink. Women could not apply for lines of credit, separate lines of credit from their husband until 1974. Isn't that insane? Mm -hmm. That's That's fully. That's not that long ago. Mm -hmm. I hate that fact because I was born then. With a credit card. (laughs) (laughs) In hand. (laughs) Ready to spend the money. (laughs) At the Peach's house, Vivian Hughes is giving them lessons in womanhood. Charm school. Charm school alert. Also historically accurate, as I think we've already mentioned. Greta says that Vivian is a multimillionaire. Joe suggests that they suck up to her. Greta agrees, and Carson does not like that. Greta mm-hmm. shushes her. They're disagreeing on literally everything in this episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanted to comment that the stained glass in this house, in the Peach's house, is absolutely stunning. I couldn't keep my eyes off it. There's so many shows. I know you didn't watch Stranger Things, but the most recent season of Stranger Things had a ton mm-hmm. of stained glass. It was a house that was very iconic in it. I can't stop looking at it. <laughs> I want to live there. <laughs> so some of us are here for the lesbians. Others are for here for the stained glass. Um, I had a question slash history corner. I'm not sure if we're supposed to think that Vivian is queer. She mentions her much younger husband that's sort of mm-hmm. living separately from her life. And, the, and she's sort of telling Greta this, right? And Greta is getting ideas about how she could potentially also structure her life in this way of, mm-hmm. you know, s- making it seem as though everything is up to speed and then being very, very independent. We also know that particularly wealthy white women could in mm-hmm. fact live fairly open lesbian lives and have hmm. open lesbian identities at least through the 1930s when things get a little bit tougher but here i'm thinking of like gertrude stein and alice b talkless but i don't know if we're supposed to think that vivian is queer i did not think that yeah mm-hmm. until you pointed it out and then now watching it i'm thinking oh maybe we are we also see the four uniforms of each team in the league, and they're all soft pastel colors. Uh, we're back at the salon. These salon chair ladies. The just salon ch- chair ladies. <laughs> the best. It feels, it's like uh, the movie Barbershop, where just so much happens at the salon at the barbershop. It's mm-hmm. where you get all of your gossip, all of your... Mm-hmm your me time with your your fellow people and i kind of love it and these two ladies they're in the chair talking about having a night reminiscing about time with with bert 
And we just want to make it a point that the characters in the show are referring to Bert as Tony's sister and uh, using she, her pronouns. But we're going to go ahead and not misgender the character because we've met Uncle Bert, right, in future episodes. And so we're just going to refer to him as he and as Bert. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting, too. Bert, they call him Bertie, right? Bertie. Mm -hmm. It's kind of uh, Greta. Nickname is also Bird. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I, thought I didn't that was, pick up on that. No, that was cute. Interesting. Uh, Clance comes in. She's already flustered. We're getting we're getting ready for crab boil. She's freaking out. She comes with her little pitcher, Lena Horn. Her Wait. hair looks yeah. Wait, before that, a woman comes in. Oh, that's this right. woman named Leah Turner comes in with her kid. Oh my god, I missed that completely. And sits down with Max, and they have a little look, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you're like, hmm, what's this little look they just shared? Right. And then Clance comes in. Thanks for, thanks for catching that. I mean, I, I did you. catch it. I know it, but I just got so excited Everything about Lena Horn. Everything that happens in this scene is going to come back. Mm-hmm. And it's like the springboard for a lots of chaos between Max and <laughs> Clance. Yeah, so the Clance adventure. is having a house party tonight. Mm -hmm. And she needs to get crab for her crab boil. And she's... She wants to get all these things for her housewarming party. It's super important to her. And Max and Clance play Mama Tony into <laughs> letting them use mm -hmm. Max's dad's truck. It's so adorable. These two are like thick as thieves. They know how to <laughs> <laughs> they know how to get what they want, get what they need. They head off in the truck and they are out to get the crab. This is where the crab count comes in. I counted. Every instance of Clance saying crab in this episode. <laughs> Your dedication to this job is something else. Clance says crab 26 times this episode. That crab <laughs> is a big thing. That's just Clance. That's yes. not how many times oh, crab wow. is said. And then there was one crabs, right? Yeah. There might have been a, yeah, one crabs. One She's crab. like, it's crab, not crabs. So they head to um, a black outdoor market to pick up the crabs, but this guy, Frank, he gives them a box of prawns instead. And this this is the start of Clance's downfall into insanity <laughs> this episode. She's like, what, what kind of guy are you? You didn't check the box? That's like your whole job is to check what's, what seafood is in this box. And he's like, oh, I must have gave this other guy, Mr. Beaumont, the, the crab box. And she's all flustered. She's like, well, we got to go get it. And they end up dropping the box of prawns all over the ground. And they got to chase after this Mr. Beaumont. Floor prawn. <laughs> the floor <laughs> prawn now, yeah. Um, kind of while this is, while they're taking off after the crab, Max notices Gary, Gary. at the recruitment table. Boo. And he's like upset that she embarrassed him at the baseball game oh, earlier. God. Toughen up, man. Ugh, Gary. <laughs> yeah. He's like the... He's like the Xander of the show, <laughs> you know, from Buffy. From Buffy. Any, go on. And Max is still, she's still trying to get a job at the factory, right? So she's like, Gary, can you please like submit me as Max? Because she, her mom told her that story about going by Tony and people mm -hmm. thought she was a man. She's like, if the factory thinks I'm Max, a man, I can get this job. And she does end up convincing him. 
Clint starts driving off to get that damn crab and Max runs <laughs> off after her. <laughs> she really drove off. She did. <laughs> she is not messing around. And her hair's already, her Lena Horn hair is already starting to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Back at the Peach's home, Vivian announces that there are five face shapes. I don't know if you knew this. This is science. <laughs> and only one of them is naturally attractive. So she thinks today we will be focusing on the other four, meaning none of the ladies have the one attractive shape face. And there she's got a diagram that she's pointing to. And it says, can you identify the shape? Choose between oval, round, square, oblong, and triangle. So what, what is the face that is attractive? Definitely not triangle, if I were to guess. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference between oval and oblong? I mean, all of this is offensive and All of school. it. I mean, th- everything she says about their faces when they're sitting in that chair is wild. Like, I, <gasps> wild, wild. Right. She says, Shirley's too Semitic. Esty's too mysterious, which I don't know how that's. <laughs> anything either of those <laughs> lupe has vampire teeth that can be filed which explains so much about why lupe is cat's favorite character mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, greta however has lovely brows hair with volume and lovely color basically greta is perfect <laughs> greta is perfect carson very quick description farm hands farm face and then she mumbles i've never even been to a farm it's so great. So wait, if Greta is perfect, this woman is saying Greta is perfect. What is Greta's face shape? Because then we know on this diagram what know. is the attractive. Who is knows? it oval? Square? It's not going to be square, babe. <laughs> well, look at her face. It's it's perfect. That's what it's it just is. perfect. Okay, let's move. Okay. <laughs> Jess Fern, the character played by Molly Kearney, and Carson think. Everything about charm school is bullshit. Jess is consistently the most uncomfortable about wearing a dress or makeup. She looks so angry anytime that this comes up, even more so than Lupe, who is also very uh, masculine presenting. Mm -hmm. Jess is like not having it. Right. And this is when Vivienne explains how she got to where she is. And then Greta is really fan girling over her she wants she wants what Vivian has I think she wants that safety and that security uh, she's then flirting with Alan Baker and he asks if she's not married yet and she's saying someday I just gotta believe my guy is out there she's so cute at lying about being straight she could <laughs> yeah. turn it on so quickly she could turn mm-hmm. the like straight quote-unquote straight one that's so yeah she's charmingly like looking at girls one second and turns mm-hmm. around and is flirting with guys like aye, aye, snap aye. of her fingers hot carson gives her a look greta tells her to cool it carson says stop telling me what to do but of course i wrote in my notes she really doesn't want her to stop does she <laughs> <laughs> tell me what to do we then lose a peach fern gets dismissed i was very sad because i just seen actually molly the actor portraying fern do stand up opening for lisa traeger last month in um, san diego and they were great and then last week too it was announced that molly is one of the newest cast members on snl coming this season so maybe better than you know being a background i don't yeah, yeah maybe 
this is when Greta explains to Carson her strategic behavior, right? That they're going, they're they're doing charm school in order to make sure we don't look like a bunch of queers, oh, or maybe so it just doesn't affect you, Mrs. Shaw. Mm. Yeah, you wrote yeah. "ouch." I didn't even see that until I said, "Oh, like I really, I f- yeah. you really felt that because that is the fear." She's like keeping mm-hmm. it. She's so proper. She's got like her hands kind of just behind her back. Mm-hmm. And really wants to instill in her, like, do you understand how difficult this is? Like, mm-hmm. they think we're a bunch of queers. And I think this yeah. is the moment that Carson does understand. After all of their headbutting mm-hmm. this episode, she finally gets why Greta has been acting the way she has. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Vivian wants to remove Jess from the team, but Greta and Carson intervene and save her. <laughs> Thank Close God. Close one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Phew, just some lipstick and you're on the team. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy, here it is. Back to the crabs. This one scene could just be like five minutes from a comedy show, like an NBC Mm -hmm. or something. This Mm -hmm. is like, I almost could hear the laugh track in it. Mm -hmm. Clance and Max (laughs) show up at this house where supposedly the crab is and there, it's a funeral. The crab is there for <laughs> a funeral. Max is freaking out because dead people make her uncomfortable. Clance <laughs> goes into the kitchen, sees a big pot, kind of just goes over there like with one eye closed, grabs the top. Praying <laughs> that it's not the crab already being cooked. Oh, she's opens it. There's her crab boil boiling, <laughs> just the the no that comes out of her mouth. You're just smiling at her it's pure sadness. Mm-hmm. The woman's like, I understand, I miss her too. <laughs> yeah, a woman comes in to console her, and I didn't catch this the first time, but Clance utters, "Fuck Miss Beaumont." <laughs> it's the person's funeral that they're. <laughs> I did not catch that. That's amazing. I only caught it because I had the subtitles on. It's yeah. that that scene is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Clance is like, okay, well, I need this crab, so suggest going to Schwartz. And Max is like, you know, even Tony doesn't go there. They would charge him double uh, for being black. And they both are just like, you know, we got to do it. They go in, and this is again very heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. They don't make eye contact and. Clance always does. Like, she's like, sir, please, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're here, please. She's still, Max flies off the handle and Clance, you know, right. is always. the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's a lot of, they go back to the car, the truck <laughs> defeated and Clance goes in this whole tirade about, oh, I, I drew crab all over the, <laughs> the invitations and she's afraid <laughs> she's of like, embarrassing guy. And yeah. her eyes are just full of tears. It's so heartbreaking seeing mm-hmm. Clance heartbroken. And mm-hmm. clearly Max feels the same way because Max is like, all right, I'm getting you this fucking crab. I'm going mm-hmm. back in there. Mm-hmm. I love them. Yeah. Yeah. What, they lift each other up. They do lift each other up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at the same time that this is going on, the peaches are walking down the street going to get mm-hmm. some lunch. Do you want to talk about Jess in this one moment, Crystal? Because Jess is your favorite. <laughs> it's so yeah, Jess, she's got her hair done up and lipstick on from Charm School. And she just lets out this 
guttural rage scream <laughs> into the camera because she's so upset. Well, Shirley has very specific dietary restrictions, so she has to go into Schwartz. She can't just go to the uh, deli that they're going to. And she also realizes that she's never actually been alone in public before, so she makes oh Carson gosh. tag along. <laughs> and this Carson's is when, like, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this is when Max also goes back in to tr- to try to get the fish man's attention, and he ignores her again. Now, sure, this is a tiny moment, but another history corner that some uh, Twitter followers are already excited about because I <laughs> foreshadowed it. Foreshadowed so, botulism. Yeah. <laughs> Shirley shames Carson for eating canned fish, and this is the first mention of botulism that is going to be with us for the rest of the season. It can and will kill you, according to Shirley. She's very confident. And so I looked into the history of botulism. And so canned food began in France, in um, 19th century France, and moved to the U.S. by 1825 and only began to sort of become mainstream after the Civil War. Once people accepted germ theory, they understood that there was some risk associated with canning food. And in fact... There was a an outbreak in late 1919 and early 1920 when um, a series of deadly botulism actually killed 18 people in Ohio, Michigan, and New York, with some other smaller outbreaks in other states. So Shirley is not entirely unreasonable. Justice for Shirley over here. <laughs> okay, that's actually pretty interesting. <laughs> nice going, Susanna. Yeah, and then the other thing here is that. You'll notice when she's trying to buy her pound of the freshest tuna, she gives the fishman her ration cards. And neither of you probably have ever used ration cards. I no. grew up in the, I was born in the former Soviet Union, and when it fell, everything was limited. And so I remember standing in long lines and, you know, would get a book of cards per family for that month. And so every time we bought bread, milk, and eggs, you know, you only have this many cards for That's this wild. much product. Yeah. So no, this we is grew also up in blessed North America. <laughs> <laughs> Must be nice. We did have yeah. food stamps. Mike, yeah. Food stamps. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Carson's at the deli counter. Max is at the deli counter. And Carson. They meet again. They meet again. Uh, Max obviously saw carson and greta kissing last episode and carson's freaking out about this so she goes up to max and is just like look about what you saw and max is like i don't Mm -hmm. care she doesn't have time for this she's here for crab (laughs) and when the guy at the counter finishes helping shirley he asks carson what she wants once again ignoring max max and max is like actually i was here first uh i think she knows that abby she's got a little something on abby abby's gonna let her Oh, Abby? Abby? <laughs> Who's I'm Abby? I'm sorry. <laughs> Carson. Abby <thing>. Jacobson. <laughs> so the dick at the counter is like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. And Max walks out the store and says, I got an order of crab here for one Miss Lena Horn. And mm. Clance is so happy over the moon. She pulled through. So here we are. We're at the first Peaches, the first Peaches game versus the Dun-dun-dun. South Bend blue socks uh this was this is interesting the national anthem plays and crystal pointed out the the girls don't take off their hats which Mm -hmm. i don't know this i don't know when people started taking off their hats at baseball games 
you see the backs of all the players and you see their uniform numbers. And I was wondering, I asked Justine Siegel, hmm. who's the baseball coordinator on the show and founder of Baseball for All, on Twitter, I asked Will and Will added her. And she responded with an amazing bit of information. All American About girls. How they got their numbers. The, the numbers. Mm-hmm. And all American girls. Uh, professional baseball league jersey numbers were chosen from one through 15 and i know for a fact in the mlb the numbers actually indicated your order in the lineup so like you know whoever was number two was the second person in the lineup it didn't change now lineups change daily in the middle of the game all it's crazy but these women do they go beyond 15 but she was just pointing out that they went one through 15 in the actual league She said, I don't believe a number was assigned to an actor for any sentimental reason, because I was curious, but I could be wrong. However, for the factory team, the Screws, I chose the birth dates of pioneering black and brown women in history. For instance, two was Tony Stone, four was Maya Angelou, seven, Billie Holiday. It goes on and on. Uh, I will actually repost this. I think it's so interesting Mm -hmm. and really really cool. And I posted that on my own personal Twitter account, but I haven't posted it on our uh, our podcast feed and I, I will. That's amazing. It's a great I, little detail that they added in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did like that Carson and Greta were back to back nine and 10, nine just nine. random. Although again, she is not aware of any sentimental reason. Those numbers were chosen. Mm-hmm. After the introduction of their first game, we're going to jump back to Clance's housewarming party where they get back with the crab. And the floor prawn. They got to keep (laughs) the floor prawn. (laughs) And we are introduced to the show's greatest mystery, in my opinion. And that is, (laughs) why is Clance feuding with a (laughs) five-year-old? I love it. There's little kids sitting on her front step. And she's like, what are you doing here? I didn't invite you to the party. This five-year-old is like, we came to the party to make sure it's lame. And it's confirmed. (laughs) There's such little brats. Big C. Big C, this little kid's called, and he's reading uh, Clance's comic books. She, she snags this comic book out of his hands, and she's like, don't take my Superman. And I just want to point out that the comic that she grabs from this kid is Action Comics number one, which is the first appearance of Superman. It was came out in 1938. Oh, wow. It sold at auction this year for $3.18 million. Wow. So, yeah, don't let that kid touch that wow. comic book. <laughs> Clance's That's grandchildren incredible. will be able to retire happily off of that one issue. Wow. <laughs> um, so they go in. Clance is like super stressed. Her hair's a mess. The hairstyle that she got this morning, gone. She didn't get her dress. She didn't mm-hmm. get the gramophone. Um, and she's freaking out. And Guy goes to sweet, sweet Guy. Her husband is love so adorable. Guy. God, I love, love him. Guy. He's so good. He goes to console her. Um, and, you know, pull, picks out a dress for her that's just probably more beautiful than the one she was going to pick up. He's such a sweet, good man mm-hmm. and calms her down. It's and yet she still loves Max more than any other person on earth. <laughs> that says a lot. That says a lot. And now we're back on the field. I'm so glad you guys put me on uh, baseball duty and mm-hmm. Lupe duty. <laughs> I said it much <laughs> slower this time. <laughs> Lupe, what do they call her? The Spanish striker. And then the yeah. owner. Spain goes down a little bit easier than 
Mexico. Ay, 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 right? Well, and I think her family is actually from Texas with Mexican mm-hmm. roots. So it's right. like even even that, like she's not even from Mexico. Oh, the she, character? Yeah, I believe I, oh, I read that? that. I thought I missed that. I think I read that in an interview or like one of those behind the scene things. Oh, oh cool. Uh, when Shirley comes to bat, she has this routine. Like she taps on all this stuff to, to like... I'm doing this and it's a podcast, not video, but I've like (laughs) touched all my body parts that Shirley was (laughs) touching. And I know that this has had to have been inspired by the guy who had, who was the most superstitious. Hmm. And I put a comment about a little bit stitious for those who watch the office. (laughs) Nice. But, uh, there was this player, he was on the Red Sox. His name is Nomar Garcia Parra. And he would do toe tap, toe tap, toe tap. And then he'd take his batting gloves and like, he'd do this weird little thing with his batting gloves. Like it would take him probably like 15 seconds, 20 seconds before he went every single pitch. He's known for that. And I feel like that's Hmm. where they got that. You should post a video of that on our Twitter too. Oh, I will. You're doing that. Mm-hmm. No ma. <laughs> That's the call. No ma. <laughs> and this is cool. Uh, what would your walk-up song be? Do you know about that? Like, if you're not into baseball, baseball players have a walk-up song when they come up to bat. That's a fun question. I would love mm-hmm. to know everyone's answer to this. Mine would be Twitter. humorously tragic, um, like a sad Sondheim song. It's just very slow. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're just like... Go up to bat with your head down. <laughs> yep. yep. Dragging your bat on the ground. <laughs> that would be me. Mine would be Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. Wow. Because oh. the whole crowd would sing along with my my walk-up song. You just get like, you know, 10 seconds or less maybe. Both just of the- ours are just the worst. Like nobody. Because it has to be a high energy. Like, it's supposed to be ready. a hype song. Yeah. Yeah. What about Kat? I don't know that the, um, I don't know the name of this song, but I always laugh. This would not be it, but I always joke around that it would be the Nicki Minaj song where she goes, boobs, 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 lot of boobs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would be perfect. Wow. It's, that song is, isn't that song called I Endorse These Strippers? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe it's that song. Okay. <laughs> well, I will pick an actual real song and I will pose that to our listeners on our Twitter account, too. We have a lot of things to pose to them, which I think is mm-hmm. fun interaction. Mm-hmm. Gosh, where are we here? I got so, once I started talking about boobs, I got a little mm-hmm. distracted. I know, it's hard. <laughs> let's, let's bring you back. Let's bring you back. They're playing their first baseball game and it's a really fun scene. You see them like, you see them playing a game for the first time mm-hmm. and you see Jess make this amazing catch and throws to Greta and they tag a girl out and Jess salutes the audience. Like the mm-hmm. Canadian knows what the Americans want. She's like, I got this. I'll play into this. Just like <laughs> that's you, Crystal. That's right. Mm-hmm. Greta does a salute at some, a couple of times in this too. Like when she's mm-hmm. like, you know, with great dignity and composure. And composure. <laughs> That's cute. It's like this cute little thing. I don't know what that's about, but maybe that was a little in thing with them. Greta asked Carson to wish her luck. And good luck. They're still a little <laughs> feuding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that hot feud that Susanna thrives for, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that hot love feud. 
-hmm. The announcers tee up the crowd for this bullshit. Mm -hmm. Instead of having walk-up songs at this time, the announcer said stupid shit like, and boy, she's single. Where to go? Up to bat. Like, mm-hmm. And there's this dick in the audience that starts catcalling Greta when she goes up to bat. Mm. Yeah, she she somehow gets through it for the game, right? And then Joe goes up there, fellas, she might speak softly to you, but she carries a big stick. And then she gets... A lot of it, right? I mean, it's just... Mm -hmm. This scene is so upsetting. It resembles a scene in the movie where they also do this. A guy is, like, teasing them on the field. But the guy in the show here is so much worse. He's absolutely disgusting. And I hope he died in a car crash on the way home after this baseball game. (laughs) (laughs) He's just saying really nasty stuff to, yeah, yeah, Greta and Joe. and Mm -hmm. Also, butt slap alert. Yes. (gasps) Butt slap alert. There's a quick little... Greta slaps Joe on the butt as she goes up to bat. And Dev says he'll take care of it, but he doesn't, right? He just gives the guy an autograph. And I probably didn't even bring it up for all we right, know. Right. He does. We'll see later. Dove did say something to this guy. And later the guy's uh Dove is like, yeah, it, it goes down easier now that you know it's all a joke. So he's not particularly helpful. He's still minimizing the Peach's efforts and professionalism, right? He also has a very, another unhelpful metaphor that only Jess knows. And we'll see this as a theme for Jess's character. She's very outdoorsy, apparently, because he (laughs) makes this fishing for snapper metaphor that's way above everybody's head. But Jess gets it and has the serious nod (laughs) in, in recognition. It's really funny. So after that, upsetting scene back to Clance's party all her guests there the crab oil's in full swing and you see max in this gorgeous yellow dress like max is such a little oh my goodness yeah Hmm. she puts this yellow dress on in this scene and she looks so beautiful and her mom and dad are just like we made that they're so cute Mm -hmm. i think that they're they're both a little relieved that she looks like a quote-unquote girl maybe not her dad so much but tony for sure that's all she Mm -hmm. wants for whatever reason her dad wants her maybe secretly a little bit to look like a girl just because he's concerned about her safety but her mom i think might be a little bit embarrassed too by her tomboyish but that's just my take on that i don't know i can relate to this because my mom wanted so badly to have a girly girl and she used to take me shopping and try and put me in dresses and I had none of it. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a bit of that. Tony just wants a girl. She wants a girl daughter, not this. And Tony has a sibling who is queer and Tony understands right. the mm. price of being queer in 1943 and she is just so protective of Max. She really wants mm-hmm. to make sure that she's safe. Yeah. Back at the Peaches Field, they had lost to South Bend. I said, this is Carson, <laughs> Mumbly Carson. They had lost 0 to 1. Maybell thinks they look like idiots. Greta gives a two week stops, and Carson tries to encourage the team. This is her first sort of leadership potential showing over here. Vivian asks Greta to tone it down, and Greta is crushed but she does agree because again she's getting it she has to play by the rules and she walks off 
alone. And this is when Carson overhears Dove talking to the board, and she understands that he's not actually there for them. He's there to revive his career. Mm -hmm. He calls the whole enterprise garbage, suggests they shorten the girls' skirts further. And then he overhears, he's talking to the heckler and just tells him the whole thing is a joke. Really sad for our peaches. But happily... Back at Clance's party, <laughs> everyone's dancing. There's a trumpet playing. It's like so delightful. Um, Max goes up to Gary, who's also at the party, and apologizes to him and asks him to dance because she's sn- still trying to keep on Gary's good side so that he'll help her get a job. <laughs> mm-hmm. She gives him a little kiss on the cheek, but he's he's suspicious. He he knows what Max is like. Very. Good. He'll be fine with that. <laughs> he doesn't yeah that's true he doesn't care is at the end that's of the day if, if he gets what he wants he's gonna be okay in the locker room we see greta crying oh Carson walks on. in heartbreaking i know so Rip upsetting the heart greta open oh. and greta tries to put on a brave face and says she's there because she left her makeup bag behind that's what makes it so upsetting she tried to hide it she tries Mm -hmm. to keep her walls up so hard and they break down here and it's but then that's what encourages carson to actually take on the greta role right she says she tells her with so little confidence (laughs) i'm surprised she even managed to (laughs) say this out loud but she says it's okay to want things i think so she's not Mm -hmm. sure but she it's sweet that she's trying to tell greta this And then Greta says, I feel like whenever I let myself want something, it never really goes right. And Carson agrees. She knows what Mm -hmm. she means. And she says, I just really need this thing to be real. And Greta says, who says it's not real? Carson goes, I mean, you did. You said the league won't last even two weeks if we're lucky. You haven't unpacked anything. And Greta has this beautiful moment where she says that they might get to tell us how long it lasts, what what to wear but they don't get to tell us whether or not this is real that's us and then she touches carson's face ever so gently with those delicate beautiful hands we know those hands (laughs) and i think it's at this moment where if you did have your reservations about greta this Mm -hmm. is where you're like oh this character is richly layered and Mm -hmm. it's you know you did a little bit when she's like they want to make sure you know we don't look like a bunch of queers. So mm-hmm. you got a hint of that. But here's where you really see her inner turmoil or inner struggle. Like it's constant. Like it's a right. constant 365, 24 hours. She's always mm-hmm. someone else for mm-hmm. whoever. She molds herself to whatever her surroundings are to keep herself safe, but is struggling because mm-hmm. she does want to be happy. Like she said, whenever I let myself want something, it never really goes right. So that's where you realize Greta is just such a very interesting character and you mm-hmm. could just go on and on. Like we don't touch at all on her backstory or history, except for one point where she mentions her mom or something, but right, that's right. going to be fascinating season two. I, Give me I, all that backstory. Do you think there'll be flashbacks to their past? I don't know that there'll be flashbacks, but I think you're going to find out mm-hmm. more why they left. I mean, we know why Joe left, but why Greta left mm. after that heartbreak. Um, it's funny, the uh, the seesaw, Max is 
storyline is kind of fun and joyful. And then the Peaches storyline is like very heartbreaking. Um, so Max changes out of her dress and she gets into the clothes that are much more her comfortable. She looks in the mirror and she's like, yep, that's me. There I am. I'm back. <laughs> I'm ready. Heads over to uh, Chapman's, the, uh, the salon, where Leah, the woman we met, the pastor's wife we met, previously in this episode <laughs> comes to meet her for lesbian sex that's the note <laughs> here. Hey, isn't that what happened that's what happened yeah mm-hmm. so we figure out what that little they shared a little look earlier mm-hmm. that little look was that yeah, little look was i'm stopping by later. the salon after dark let's mm-hmm. <laughs> Get it on. To be fair, we don't see them have lesbian sex. We we see them kiss. <laughs> this is my interpretation of what happened late. That's an excellent interpretation. Mm-hmm. You did great. I wanted to note here that over the scene, a Nina Simone song is playing, who I've not found anything concrete about this, but she was rumored by a lot of people to have been bisexual and had relationships with women. Mm-hmm. Mm. Again, I I haven't found anything like concrete to back that up, but I think that was a deliberate choice. Start the rumor here. <laughs> Eleanor I mean, Roosevelt, Nina Simone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think it was a deliberate choice to put a Nina Simone song over this lesbian mm. sex scene. <laughs> Again, no sex it, it was just a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> and that is where episode two comes to a close. Crystal, give us the final counts. Well, you gave us a few. Did we miss anything in this episode? Clance saying crab count, 26. She said crab 26 times. There was one Greta Gill butt slap. And I think we gave all the other ones okay. earlier. Okay. Like I went through them and I, mm-hmm. at the end of this, these eight episodes, I'm going to tally it up, make a <laughs> nice chart to share with everyone. It's going to be pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And then I just wanted to... Uh, talk about fan art corner. This is, I have just a minute or two to spotlight uh, fan artists here for um, for our podcast. And I am spotlighting Allie Baldwin, who actually is a friend of both Crystal and I. And th- hers was the first I saw I, th- I think she watched this entire series all in one shot and then just started drawing and did baseball cards. I know that there was another company that did kind of like baseball cards, but Allie was working on these and uh, there's so many. There's like how many are there, Crystal? Like 15, uh, 16 or something. There's more Again. than 15 because she did everyone on the team and Max and a couple other characters. They're so good. She drew baseball yeah. cards of everyone. They're incredible. Mm-hmm. And then she did another uh, actual poster with a bunch of the characters and it's got a lot of love. I'm going to obviously, uh, uh, post this on our Twitter account and give Allie some love again. Allie Baldwin Twitter handle is a L L Y underscore B A L D W Y W I N. Sorry. Allie Baldwin. So I'll, I'll do that. I forgot how to spell. (laughs) (laughs) Hey Allie. Thanks Kat. Thanks yeah. also to Alyssa of the band The Daily Fair for creating the music for our podcast, or as Alyssa cleverly calls it, our peach jam. 
please rate, review, and subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Follow us on Twitter at WAAFpod and tell your friends about the show. Here's our very first Apple Podcast review from History Davis, whom I happen to know personally, but who we swear we did not bribe to write this. History Davis says, A delight. So much fun to bask in the glow of this amazing show with three super funny super fans. Thank you very much for this review. If you'd like to hear your review featured on the show, please write us a few lines in your podcast app. See you next week for a recap of episode three. And thank you for being our team.